that's why one of the key things that we try and challenge through our research is to really challenge this notion that adoption is simply to do with characteristics of the farm and farmer themselves. I'm Serena Killam and welcome to What's Sociology Got To Do With It? The podcast exploring research issues from rural and regional Australia and asking our guests what sociology got to do with it. This podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wiradjuri people and I pay my respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. What Sociology Got To Do With It is sponsored by the Australian Sociological Association, Charles Sturt University and is produced for the 2020 Social Sciences Week, promoting the importance of the social sciences for understanding humanity, society and the institutions which govern our daily lives. Let's go. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, What's Sociology Got To Do With It? Can we get started by getting you to tell us about your research? Sure. So my, my research very broadly focuses on the sociology of agriculture and food. Well, what does that mean? Well, basically, in the context of the work that I do, the focus is very much around trying to understand how agriculture is governed, the broader forces at a global and national and also regional and local that shape how food is produced and importantly how farmers produce our food. As part of that focus my specific interest is around adoption of technologies, around adoption of practices at a farm level. I'm particularly interested in not only why farmers adopt or why they partially adopt particular practices or innovations or not, but I'm also very interested in the influences in terms of policy, in terms of other organisations and agencies and institutions that have an influence on what's adopted, why it's adopted and how it's adopted as well. Can you give us a, like a concrete example, innovation or a technology in agriculture? What does that actually mean for someone not familiar with the sector? Okay, it's a very good question. So let me give you an example of work that I completed a couple of years ago with the Australian rice industry. In that industry, the focus was very much on trying to get farmers to adopt what's called precision agriculture technologies. So technologies that are aimed, for example, at improving the consistency, improving the accuracy of measurements around inputs into the soil, improving the efficiency of how they harvest their crops and so forth. That's one example where as researchers we came on board to try and understand what are some of the factors that influence farmer adoption of these sorts of technologies. I guess one of the things that we found is that even though there's a broader focus on farmers being encouraged to adopt these technologies and in the context of the rice industry this actually wasn't a major priority and in fact there wasn't a lot of support from specialists from precision agriculture specialists to provide that supporting environment for farmers to adopt either. That means the people who were promoting the technology just weren't really interested in rice or rice growers is that right? Um, well, yes, I think that's a very good point because in the areas we were focusing on, cotton was becoming an increasingly important crop 
And so many of the rice growers that we spoke to really believed that perhaps precision agriculture wasn't really as relevant for them. It was much more relevant to larger scale production, such as cotton. There was much more support for the cotton sector. That mean from the rice growers perspective, because the precision ag consultants just weren't turning up, they were just like, well, this technology is not for me then. It's not for my farm or my type of business. Yes. Yeah. I think it wasn't so much a matter of the precision ag specialists not turning up. It was more a matter of there was very limited expertise within Mm -hmm. Australia. So really, numerically speaking, compared to the number of farmers who are interested in adopting, there really wasn't that much support available. And I guess that needs to be also seen in the context of declining funding for public extension services as well. There's, this is something that I, I focus on a lot in my research and that comes up time and time again. The declining support for public extension is a huge factor in understanding why farmers do or don't adopt because there's a hell of a lot of reliance on the private sector such as commercial retail agronomists to do this work but it's not really coordinated a lot of the messages that agronomists are giving are not necessarily the best advice with precision farming agronomists don't necessarily see it as their role either so there's huge issues around coordination that's why one of the key things that we try and challenge through our research is to really challenge this notion that adoption is simply to do with characteristics of the farm and farmer themselves. So it's not to do with necessarily resistance to new technology. It's not necessarily around older farmers not adopting. It's far more complex than that. Because they're the stereotypes, isn't it? That Farmer Joe is much too old. He's not interested in new technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly right. So it's very much assumed that older farmers are less likely to adopt the technology because they're getting old and tired and they're about to re- you know, retire and that younger farmers are much receptive. And then, of course, you hear conflicting stories, where, for example, which say, well, what about those younger farmers who dad still runs the farm or those younger farmers who are quite conservative in their outlook? Yeah, all these sorts of things. <laughs> what would you say to the question then? What's sociology got to do with it? Well, it's a good question. What has sociology got to do with it? I, I guess because sociology broadly is around looking at social relations, but also looking at the relationship between structure and agency. When we look at adoption issues, a lot of the emphasis outside of the social sciences is on farmers as having agency, assuming that farmers are largely unconstrained by factors that might be outside of their control. So I guess the importance of sociology is by drawing attention to issues around socio-technical, socio-cultural factors that might exist, you know, cultural values about around what constitutes good farming and good farmers but also broader issues around the policy settings that might stand in the way or that create tensions in farmers' implementation and adoption of good practices or more sustainable practices. Just for the people who are listening who might not be familiar with the structure agency type debate, can you summarise that for us in layperson's terms? 
basically that debate focuses around our capacity as individuals to be able to make a difference in the world. So in other words, how much freedom do we have to do what we want to do? Yeah, that's um, the agency part. That's and the agency part. The structure part refers to, well, to what extent are our day-to-day activities and practices shaped or influenced by factors outside of our control? So broader institutions such as the economy, the education system and so forth, to, to what extent do, do those play a role in shaping our practices? I guess for agriculture and in particular some of the parts of agriculture that you have talked about, like precision ag and people changing their practices, social science isn't necessarily the first thing that would spring to people's minds as the best way of understanding this issue. So how would you say that sociology or your social science approach is disrupting or innovating the normal science way of thinking about this issue? Mm. Look, probably the best way of illustrating that is through a project that I'm involved in at the moment, looking at understanding adoptability of improved soil management practices by farmers. And a lot of the funding that we received for this project is from a body called the Soil Cooperative Research Centre. And there's a number of other projects attached to that centre, which are purely soil science. I remember at a conference I went to around this topic, one of the um, researchers said, we see the purpose of social science as smoothing the process of change. So in other words, the task of soil scientists and technologists is to produce new technologies, new techniques, and then the job of social scientists is to effect smooth the process of change so that people then adopt it. That's a very uh, typical approach that I'm used to coming across, and at face value, it probably doesn't seem that problematic. Where social science and sociology comes in is in actually questioning that approach to adoption. One of the ways we do that is saying, well, rather than seeing us as smoothing the process of change, it's actually quite important for social scientists to be involved from the outset and actually considering what technologies, what techniques, what practices are likely to be most relevant and suitable. And often regional farming groups and farmers themselves are left completely out of the equation. Mm, At that big step of defining what even should you be researching on? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's very nicely illustrated too by one of the individuals that we spoke to in our soil research, which said that one of the big problems is that soil scientists, they develop these so-called silver bullets that, you know, are meant to provide solutions, but there's really limited consideration of what regional and local needs actually are, or in fact, what's going to be locally workable given the current cultural values around good farming in that region, or what the soil challenges are, what their actual local needs are. So this is where social scientists can provide a really important contribution by not so much saying to soil scientists, well, no, you're doing it wrong. It's really more about saying, well, in order for these technologies or techniques to have a more likely chance of being adopted, you need to bring us in from the start. We need more multidisciplinary projects which involve a range of different perspectives. Because at the end of the day, as social scientists, I think we make a really important 
contribution to understanding how scientific innovations can become more widely accepted and certainly an understanding why some don't. And that involvement with people right from the outset in the design and the focus and the definition of that scientific innovation is what makes it more likely to suit people's needs rather than something that's just thought up yeah. some. Yep, that's ex- I think that's exactly right. Yep. And it's, I, I guess it's not just a matter of trying to ensure that scientists think about these issues slightly differently and making these issues more social, but also about thinking around, well, how can these very local issues that farmers and regional farming groups face, how can we frame those in ways that are then more amenable to scientific research? When I say scientific research, I mean, in this case, soil science. So I would almost call that a case of trying to harden that local knowledge so that there's a more of a two-way dialogue mm-hmm. between scientists and, and then also scientists using local groups at a local level as a way of really helping to improve implementation. That's fantastic. Have you got any final thoughts or messages for the listeners of what sociology got to do with it? Well, look, I mean, I I guess in terms of my research background, I've been involved for many years now in um, looking at very applied problems, whether it be trying to work out how farmers become more involved in more sustainable practices, whether it be around how Australia can develop improved arrangements for sharing responsibility for biosecurity, which of course is a very big issue at the moment. I guess the consistent thing that I've found all the way along is that non-sociologists, you know, scientists and so forth are always very amenable to sociological input and expertise. I mean, they don't usually know what sociology is. And I guess one of the big barriers we do face as sociologists is that often those from outside the discipline, especially outside of the social sciences more broadly, think that sociology is common sense dressed up in fancy language. So it's a constant challenge in that sense of telling them what they think they already know, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, really providing a new angle on the particular problem that you're dealing with to show, well, this is not only a new way, this is not only a new lens for seeing this particular problem or issue, but it provides you with potentially alternative different strategies for addressing that problem as well. So I think that's the real challenge, but also the opportunity. That's fantastic. This is the end of our interview, but at this stage, can I ask you to tell us your name, where you're talking to us from, and what is your current role? Sure. Vaughan Higgins, and I'm an academic at the University of Tasmania. I'm based in uh, Hobart. I'm talking to you from Hobart right at the moment. I should say my uh, other role is I'm Associate Head of School of Learning and Teaching in the School of Social Sciences at the University of Tasmania too, if that's relevant. Vaughan, where can our listeners best get in contact with you? Are you on social media, email? Have you got a website that if people want to find out more about your research, they can go and have a look at? 
The best place for people to look is I do have a profile site at the University of Tasmania. So if they wanted to find out more, just simply do a Google search of Vaughan Higgins at University of Tasmania. I'm also on ResearchGate for those who are more research inclined. But for general listeners, I think that the University of Tasmania profile page would probably provide the main information that people would want to know. That's fantastic. I'll put a link to all of those in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining our new podcast, What Sociology Got to Do With It, and hopefully we'll get to talk to you again. Yep, very good. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. What Sociology Got to Do With It is hosted by me, Serena Killam, and is produced by Claire Sams. Music is for the team by Sapphire Studios. If you like our show and want to know more, please check out thatsociologypodcast.org and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. What Sociology Got to Do With It is supported by Charles Sturt University and the Australian Sociological Association promoting sociological thinking and skills for public life, social policy and education. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Join us next episode as we explore the latest research from rural and regional Australia and ask our guests what sociology got to do with it.